You're here with Claudia Hertzenfelder, the International Student Affairs Commission for the SGPS, and we're going to speak to some graduate and professional students here at Queen's University about their research and how it stretches beyond Canadian borders. What are some of the opportunities and challenges this has afforded them? Let's find out. This is Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. Welcome back, everybody. So we are here today with and with Sean Mars, and uh, we're going to have a fantastic conversation, which is slightly different to all of the other conversations we've had. We're going beyond borders, as always, um, but I'm going to give Sean the opportunity to introduce himself and tell me who you are, Sean, what are you doing here at Queen's, and uh, what's your what's your research on? All right. Thank you for having me. It was really nice to really nice to be invited here. I suppose part of the reason this is a little bit different is because I am actually a Canadian student. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not an international student, but I have most of my research is internationally based. Um, in fact, all of my research is international. There's nothing there's nothing here in Canada for uh, for me in the archives or any other research there. And uh, I did actually do an international degree prior to this. Mm-hmm. So I suppose this sort of helps get get into introducing myself here that uh, I Prior to starting this PhD here at Queen's, I began my master's at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Oh, wow. Uh, I did that. That was a year-long program, and that uh, it, was, it was sort of roughly the same as my research oh, now. Scotland. It, yeah, it, mm. was, it was really nice. I, I, I remember it uh, quite fondly and sort of think, I was like, oh, maybe I would have liked to have gone back, but no, no, no. It was, <laughs> I, and I, I returned to, to Canada for the PhD um, largely, we can get into a little bit more as, as to okay. why I chose to come back to Canada as opposed to sort of staying in the UK or even France is, is yeah. where my, my research takes place. So what, what um, is your research called? What's, what's the main thing you're doing? So the, m- the main research topics looking a lot at uh, the p- police surveillance of foreigners in the city of Paris mm-hmm. and sort of the, the 1770s, 1780s. And now, having gotten some feedback, a bit more feedback from my committee, uh, likely into not the seventeen. Not just feedback. Not just yep. feedback. No, that's right. <laughs> what happened? Uh, so I've recently had my what we call in the history department my qualifying exam. Yeah. Uh, which means it's I have to produce sort of about a thirty-page proposal or so that sort of outlines my research project, really sort of shows my competencies, the mm-hmm. the secondary literature that I'm uh, that I'm addressing, and the, the arc, obviously the the archival material that I will be drawing on. And it's a chance for me to present that to them and have my entire committee in one room, which I know is very rare, uh, where they get to give me feedback on the project. And this is... It's, it's, and you passed. I passed. Yay! Yep, yep, I passed. Uh, we, we, we call it a qualifying exam to what extent I'm really being examined and more or less just sort of sitting there in the room and getting a lot of feedback. Oh, really? I think is, okay. is the really big part of it. Like it was... Is your qualifying exam included with uh, like defense or knowledge of reading domains, or is this purely about your? Not as much, yeah. So I know I know what mm-hmm. you're sort of getting at the the comps or the we yeah. call them fields in the history department. Okay. Uh, those those sort of happen over the spring and summer. Ah, so it's two separate. They are, yeah. Time? They're separate things. Interesting. Um, generally, your your fields. Um, both major and minor fields are supposed to directly relate to your research. Mm-hmm. Um, I went a bit more general and sort of a little bit 
often different directions with my fields because I was that's that's what I really enjoy. I really enjoy a, a big breadth of material. Okay. Um, so my my major field was was very general. It was uh, it was it was just very general. Early modern Europe, fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred, oh, wow. and then through there I covered a whole bunch of different themes, all the way from sort of colonization and slavery through to environmental history, the political history, economics, diplomacy, and a whole bunch of whole big wide range of stuff. That's so interesting. In so you're there. the you're the first person we've had on as well who's I think focusing or has a, an overtly historical approach, right? Okay. So most people are doing um, contemporary collaborations or they're yeah. looking at contemporary uh, contemporary ways in which they're doing research. So either, you know, through interviews or direct observations, but you are going into the archives. Yes. Uh, and you're you're looking at huge amounts of historical documents and and. Now you just said that you were looking at your your domains or your your fields were looking at a certain period in history. What does that look like? Are you reading the academics who wrote at that time or are you reading academics who are writing now about that time or how does that look? So it was actually a bit of both because a chunk of one of my fields was was looking at uh, European representations of the Ottoman Empire during Mm -hmm. that same period. And that that really involves a lot of what we call primary source material. So those are documents or books that are written at the time. Okay. There is, of course, a lot of what we call secondary material, which is sort of the the scholarly books that people right now working in universities Mm -hmm. or whatnot have written. But a, a lot of it does involve sort of primary primary material, so I can familiarize myself with with the sources that are being used and the the, the contemporaneous views that are being expressed at this time. And so, with how how sort of all this kind of tied back into my project was was really de- developing a really wide knowledge of of the early modern world is what I really wanted to early do with this. World. Mm. At European world, I should say. Mm. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't call it the world because it's. It's really not. It's. It's mm-hmm. sort of rough. R- roughly, sort of what we would think of geographic Europe plus a lot of the Mediterranean because of, I. I know a lot. I've, I've studied a lot and included a lot of research on the Ottoman Empire in my work. So Was this what of, you were doing in your masters as well? Uh, a little bit. My masters, it be, due to the nature of, of a masters project, it's quite sort of narrow mm. and short. Uh, so that was that was looking at diplomacy uh, between France and the papacy and the papal states in, wow. the, in Rome. Uh, so you were studying in Scotland at the time, yes. doing research in Rome, and now you're studying in Canada, doing research on France. That's so your correct. broader domains were looking at Europe. Um, you've got a fantastic title for your actual research. Oh, thank you. So let's uh, let's get into your real. What is what is your? You've just been accepted. So what yep. is your main focus? That so the the title of the research, as you mentioned, is um, it's it's called Flies on the Wall: Police Surveillance and the French Foreign Ministry, uh, seventeen eighty seven to or sorry seventeen seventy four to seventeen ninety one. Okay, now why why flies on the wall? Why 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 seventeen seventy one? Yeah, so the so the, the the flies on the wall actually worked out really perfectly because mm-hmm. I'm I'm the main focus of this is is on the police surveillance of foreigners who are who are operating in the city of Paris, and part of the reason where the flies come in is it's it's sort of a nice little metaphor. It's sort of fly of being a fly on the wall, mm-hmm. listening into conversations. But it also links back to the fact that the the people who were doing the surveilling weren't professional professional police agents. They were most often um, we we wouldn't use this term today, obviously, but they were most uh, this this term's being used in the, at that time in the 18th century that they're 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 people who are who are vagrants, who are homeless, um, or sort of have fallen 
below so what is deemed to be acceptable society mm-hmm. in, in the 18th century, or they're, they're often housekeepers. These are the ones doing the surveillance? These are the ones doing the surveillance. So it's not oh. the police agents. It's not sort of somebody in a big trench coat with the popped collar and a, fun, and a big hat who's sort of following somebody in a cafe. There is that, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. But most often, it's, it's police who are paying people to, to watch a door to watch a street, oh. or to listen to their master's conversation as they're serving dinner. Interesting. So it's, it's like how you see in these movies and random yeah, series. Yeah, to an extent. And the, where the flies come in is, is these people were known as les mouches, or the flies. Okay. In, in French, in fly, flies is uh, les mouches in French. Wow. And so I was like, oh, this, this, this works perfectly. I have to use this in the title. Oh, yeah, it does, really. And, and I think there's a lot of class dynamics that come in as well when you think about Enormous flies. Enormous class um, dynamics, yes. You know, flies, something you can swat away, something that you shouldn't take too seriously, um, and also somewhat invisible, right? So I Very think there's, much. there's a lot you could unpack just with that title of who is being considered to be a fly, exactly. less and than that, human. And that's one thing that I'm actually I'm exploring a little bit in a conference paper that I'm, I'm, a, I'm presenting hopefully this summer is, mm. is sort of is exploring this this coercive element that the police are being able to use to extract a lot of this information because not all of these people are willing participants in in this surveillance. Mm. Mo- quite often um, the police will just simply intimidate someone into giving them information, um, particularly if it's if it's someone who is who is homeless or who is suffering to some extent. The police can coerce because un- unfortunately this is. This is the 18th century, mm-hmm. and people are arrested for vagrancy. So what? So why, why, why are the police using? They 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 just don't have enough resources themselves to do this, or is it a matter of accessibility? It's, I think it's really the accessibility of it. Is that the these are these are people who are here okay. who the police can coerce, so they can say, well, we're not going to arrest you for vagrancy if you watch this door, if you watch who's coming out of this door. Or watching this street, and who's who's going into that house over there, and they'll they'll coerce people to sort of intimidate them, um, or suggest that we won't arrest you, or we won't. Uh, in the case of housekeepers, uh, it's often the case that um, if if the the house the housekeeper or the kitchen staff's spouse mm-hmm. has fallen on the wrong side of the law, uh, the police will say, "Well, we're we're not going to arrest your husband or wife." If you spy on your master, and you found us. documents that say this, that that, yeah. that show, so there, there's, like, is it in police reports, or was this just so common practice that it was everywhere? To some extent, it is. It was quite common practice. Okay. Um, some of the earlier work that I did, really, the the, the some of the sort of the do, the training for diplomats and ambassadors included several lines saying that uh, when you're being posted abroad, bring your own staff. Because they, that it was well understood at the time that your staff, that your household staff could be used to to spy on you. Oh. So so that there was sort of notices when in in when French ambassadors were being sent abroad that they were being told quite explicitly to bring their own staff, bring French speaking staff. Don't hire locals for this reason. And what what it, what kind of information were the police trying to get? Why why survey? Like what's so that's the big question. I think it's at that that's one big central question to to my project. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm I'm still I just had the qualifying exam, so I'm still very much the beginning stage of this project. But I think that the 
what they're really trying to get at is it, it's sort of twofold. I think there's there, there's an element of espionage, uh, and there's an element of counter espionage. So they're trying to they're trying to find people who might be able to to provide the French with some information, uh, and they're trying to root out spies who are trying to get information from the French. Mm-hmm. Uh, so quite often, a lot of these people who are being watched, as I said, they're all foreigners who are being watched. And these are very wealthy foreigners. So they're okay. people who are British members of parliament or ambassadors or sort of very, very aristocratic people who, who come through, who sort of have these connections and can go to dinner with this important person, with this diplomat, with this ambassador, have sort of discreet conversations about what's going on in the mm-hmm. wider wider European diplomatic circles. And the French kind of want to know what's going on. They want to know what's being discussed. And why... Um, so, actually, I want to backtrack a little bit. So you sure. said espionage and we said surveillance. Yes. Uh, and for, for those of us that are not too affair with the spy world, what is the difference between espionage and surveillance? You know, I'm honestly not... I hadn't really thought through that that really narrow I'm, I'm not okay. sure there's, there's a really distinct okay so it's not like one has a political objective and the other is just because we're getting we're, we're being like there's surveillance all around us all of the course, time right where information's being gathered um i was just curious yeah so i think that where 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 there is a big difference is is whether or not in, in i suppose to, to keep things sort of within my project mm-hmm. but surveillance sort of implies domestic surveillance so they're watching french people Okay. Um, and I think sort of the the, the role of that, I think I'm, I'm using the word surveillance in my own project just to describe that the the continuous nature of mm. of the operation that it's it, it's not sort of one or two individuals who are sort of being tasked with a special assignment. It's a it's a continuous operation that is that has been going on for centuries. In this case, that interesting. It's, where the the people coming who the people who are being watched are different because they're usually people who are traveling through or some of them are living in Paris uh, but it's it, it and sort of where where sort of where the 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 comparison is sort of general sort of population surveillance comes in is that is going on as well okay like it's 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 not really what my project focuses on but I know I know my project will will address will have to address domestic surveillance of the the police or the government just sort of watching ordinary French people as they're going about their lives. And now I know that because yours is primarily within the archives, yes. um, you know, are you doing, are you looking for this information here in Canada? And what's the connection between Canada and France? Or are you having to go to France and and which archives? Like, How do you find this information? Of course. Well, first of all, I would love to be able to do interviews, <laughs> uh, but that would require some occult magic I'm not familiar <laughs> with because these people have unfortunately been dead for 200 years. Yeah. So it is entirely archival. Wow. And there is really... Queen, the, the Queen's Archive is excellent, and I've spoken to them about. I've, I've, I've spoken to them, sort of. This is my project. Do you guys have anything? Because they're they're enormously helpful. Yeah, they're fantastic. The Queen's Archives. Yeah. Shout out to the Queen's Archivists. Absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, no was the answer. They don't okay. really have anything. Uh, so my so my project has really nothing to do with Canada. Okay. Uh, other than the fact that I live here, and. All of my archival research takes place in France. 
And so, so in a in a particular, maybe we should speak about. So of we've course. both been into an archive. What what is an archive? Ooh, ooh, that is a good that is a good question. I suppose the how like what what are you going to find? So you're going to an archive in France. What kind of documents are you hoping to find? You spoke a bit about like ambassadors' reports. Yeah. these are original documents they from are. 250 years ago, right? It's, they are. It's like you're looking at a museum and you get to touch it. Yep. Uh, so a lot of the archives that I deal with are are government archives. Mm-hmm. So they they are things that they are very central institutions and they are repositories for all government information that the government big quotation marks the government has deemed worthy of record okay and so when i when i go into these to to these different archives and we can get into specifics a little later Mm because there's a few of them that i use okay they're they're usually they're usually things that have been produced 200 years ago. They're reports or correspondence between individuals that are quite often, they're, they're on the original paper. They're, they've been put into a book or into a box or into a folder, mm-hmm. sewn up and kept on a shelf deep within uh, the basement of the building. Wow. So they're, so that the, yeah, there so are, they're ri- living there are ri- artifacts. Absolutely. Uh, and and why? So you said that France has nothing to do with you being here in Canada, and clearly you've got a deep love for history. Mm-hmm. How did you get to, I guess, to asking a question about spies or spying in France? How how did this come to be? So it's it's a bit of a long story because I think even if you'd asked me six months ago what my project was, or heck, even two weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> what my project was, I would have given you a different answer. Okay. So I, I find I find it's it finding your project is something you you really have to. You never know when it's when it's gonna when you're gonna come or come across a, a a document or an idea that is like yes, this is what I'm going to research. Mm-hmm. And for me, that took a very long time. Okay. Part of the reason I suppose to address sort of why I'm here in Canada is largely because of my supervisor. Oh. Um, with, with a lot of graduate research, you're, it, it's, you, have, you, you have to go where the supervisor is. Yeah, that's, and, that's and in, true. In my case, with, within Canada, there was really only two or three places I could go. One and so them. who's your supervisor? Uh, my supervisor is Andrew Janeshill. Okay. Uh, he is uh, previously the graduate chair of the department and uh, the only uh, French historian in the history department. So you did have an existing, I guess, interest and relationship with French history. I did, yeah. So what draws you to French history in particular? You know, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think there's there's definitely a bit of background mm-hmm. uh, to it. There's a bit of the, sort of the, the, the personal uh, background to 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 France because my my family well I, I I'm anglophone I speak English mm-hmm. uh, as my first language uh, my mother's family was all francophone oh and so if you sort of were had been had been in settled colonized Canada for several centuries but you can follow sort of follow things close enough you end up back in and initially in, in in Quebec then New France as it was known then, and then eventually France itself. So there, there is sort of that little bit of a familial connection. Wow. And, and always... you're fluent in French as well. Yes, yes. Oh. So that, that must be really, I mean, that's a real advantage, I guess. Uh, you know, yes, you're here in Canada, and there's a really interesting um, and complicated set of politics, I guess, yes, between absolutely. French identities and English identities and what it means to be Canadian. Um, but I guess it's a really neat 
thing, neat. Neat is almost like an understatement. The ability to speak a second language in the archives, to go in and, and see and think differently. Yes. Are, are you encountering exclusively uh, French documents or are you also seeing that there's a lot of English uh, happening there? So thus far, I have not found any English documents. Uh, the only other languages that I've really come across, there has been some German mm-hmm. that I've come across and there has been uh, some Latin that I've come across. Latin? Yeah, Latin. Oh. I, I work, even at the end of the 18th century, I still find the odd Latin document. Wow. I, I don't speak Latin, so it's uh, it's usually it's like, well, I hope that wasn't important, and yeah. just turn the page. <laughs> you just look at it, and you stroke it, and you're like, so pretty. It's so pretty. Okay, bye. Yeah. I guess uh, that's also, so you've been to the archives already. So yes. I know you just passed your comps. Um, yeah. Is that putting the cart before the horse? Like, are you going and you're starting? Or was this part of the process of trying to find your project? You needed to spend time in the archives. Yeah, it was, it felt a little bit cart before horse sort of thing at first. But I found it, I found it really beneficial to, to have been to the archives prior to, prior to writing this proposal. Because I found over the summer, I was getting a sense of what I wanted to research. And in France? No, this was still here in Canada. Okay. Um, so how, how, sorry to interrupt, yeah. how were you getting that sense? So I was actually, it was a one question that my supervisor asked me. And really, he, he, it was a real simple, really simple question, but it just, it, it's one of these questions that just sort of opens your brain. And it was a question was like, which of the books that you have read do you wish you had written? Oh. And I was like, oh, that is, it, it, it sort of, it, something clicked. Something clicked with me. Whoa. When he asked me that question, I knew right away which book I wish I had written. And? and I was like, great, write that book. The funny thing is, is I'm not writing that book now. <laughs> but which book was it? It was, uh, it was World of Paper uh, by Ben S. Okay, I'm going to try. There's, there's two. There's John C. Rule and Ben S. Trotter are the two authors. And it's a World of Paper. It's an exploration of the, the bureaucracy of the French foreign ministry uh, in the early 18th century. Okay. And sort of that, that, that clicked for me. And I was like, I loved this book. It's 600 pages long, but I loved every page of it. Wow. I loved every detail. And I'm like, this is the book I want to write. And what a beautiful question. So I, I kind of started to research something more similar to, to mo- the time period I'm familiar with. At the end of the 18th century, I started to look just in the, the What's nice with France is they had the the foreign ministry has its own archive mm-hmm. and has had its own archive since the 17th century. Oh wow! So it keeps all of its own documents, so that it's all in one little place. That's really one helpful. big place, and you can get access to. And that. I can get access. Oh, to beautiful! So I started. So I started to look there, and then then I found these surveillance reports. Mm. I was like, oh, these are cool. I want to talk about these. I want to. So, so it, it started. I, I found these surveillance reports initially just in an online catalog. Oh. Because uh, the, the, the online catalog for that archive is actually pretty, pretty decent. What is an online catalog? So it's just. It's, it's simply the, the arch. Pretty much most archives mm-hmm. will, have, will have websites. Okay. And. It, depending on how on how invested the archive is into into making themselves accessible or to, depending on where where their priorities are mm-hmm. as the archive they will they will sometimes just have have some sort of navigational tools on their website to see what is in their collections you won't be able to see the documents themselves but 
you will be able to see sort of some some collections. And okay. in, in my case, it was there were really they were it was PDF documents of of just the lists of what was in the collections. Wow. So I was able I found sort of these these reports, this, this box of surveillance. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I pretty I, I so I found that online and just sort of made a little note of it in my book. Mm-hmm. Kept looking at other kept trying to find other things, but I made a little note of that. And I so I I finished this was all while I was still doing my field work, my fields, my, my reading and everything like that. Okay. But it was So you were setting yourself, because you were saying now, we, we were co- talking about you going to the archives. Yes. And then you had said that you were figuring stuff out. So you found this little piece of information yeah. while here, and this was enough for you to say, I need to go to France to see if there's a project in this. Yeah, there had already, we, I had already discussed with my supervisor and sort of worked things out that he was uh, he was going to... Uh, I've been working for him as an as a research fellow. Okay. And there was there was a bit of a bit of leeway there that I was able to 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 do some archival work for him in France. We found a good a good enough reason that there's stuff that he needed. Oh, nice. So he was like, "Well, the mon- the money's the mo- the money is the money, whatever. I can either pay it it can fund for me to get, for him to go do mm-hmm. the work himself or he decided it's like actually this is a really nice opportunity to pay me to go." Wow, and so that's that's what we ended up doing is 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 he is he hired me as a research fellow. I'd already been doing some work for him, and he decided that as he he approached me saying, "Well, Sean, I need I need these stuff, this stuff in the archive. Do you think an archival trip prior to your proposal would be beneficial?" So cool. And of course, when 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 somebody Did you say says France? when somebody says, "Do you want to go to France <laughs> for a month?" I like, can make I'll, it happen. I'll pay. Do you want to go to France for a month? Of course you say yes. Oh, you lucky bugger. Okay, that's awesome. So so ba- basically, I had to do some work. I had to do a lot of work for him there. Fair and, enough. But it, it, the, the way it worked out that I, I did two weeks of work for him, and then I had two weeks of work for me. Lovely. And that, so it felt at the time a little bit sort of cart before the horse mm-hmm. that we, we were getting at this, that maybe it was almost too early but I think with, I know at least with, with how history does, how, how sort of the history methodology works is you really, I can't know what project I'm going to do until exactly. I know that there's evidence there. Yeah. And I found that spending a month in the archives, getting to, to see what is there mm. was enormously beneficial. Because you can also be clearer, I guess, when you're laying out your methods. When Absolutely. people are saying, "How are you going to know this?" You can say, "Well, Absolutely. this exists." So, um, so that's what this this proposal and my shirk application turned into. Oh, you got a shirk! It, well done. I, I'd applied for it. It's it's out of the univ- It's out of the School of Graduate Studies. Has been forwarded. So we'll uh, fingers I'm crossing my fingers. Fingers crossed. So it both both the that application and and my proposal turned turned into uh, it really tur- turned into. A, a presentation is to like here are my ideas here's what I think is there and here's kind of what I like to do sort of a little bit fluffy mm-hmm. to something of like here's all the stuff that I found these are the questions I want to ask of my evidence that I already know is there the archives are just incredible like that so I, I mean I'm starting my own my PhD is actually going to be in the archives as well uh, oh, and I've, I've never done any archival okay. research so this for me was completely new in that I was exposed to a different world going in it, it is kind of you know I think any kid that enjoyed Where's Wally as a kid yeah. is the archives is is Where's Wally 
like supreme because you yes. go in and I'm interested in cows. And I just went in and I said, well, is there anything about cows in Kingston where, where Queen's University is? And that led me down a path that just changed my whole PhD. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Because you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah. And then you find it and you're like, no one knows this exists. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you feel like you've got your hand on this this golden nugget uh, of, of information that's kind of beautiful and dusty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so what kind of stuff did you end up finding when you were in France that, that made you feel like, yes, I can build, I can build a project around this? So I think the, the, the first thing that I really found was just the sheer scale of the collection. Wow, okay. I'd, I didn't get a sense before I'd gone of, the, of really the, the size of, of this collection, how much it was going to be. But really, once I got to got to the archives, and we can sort of talk a little bit about how how to navigate getting to it, like physically getting to an archive, or just sort yeah. of learning, because each archive is different. Unfortunately, yeah. each requires different things, different things of you, different information from you, different and relationships, different relationships, mm-hmm. and they, that can be really intimidating at first. So I found it I found it really helpful. That within this archive, because because this is this is the Foreign Affairs Archive, so it's they have everything from 1660 when the archive started to last week. Whoa! So security is a little tight. Security is <laughs> a little tight. Um, it's it's a walled compound, and it takes a little bit to find the door. Whoa! But uh, and you're being speaking of surveillance. They know exactly. Well, yeah, who you exactly. Are when you they know. In, right? They know everything. They copy my passport when I walk in. Wow. They get every little bit of information. So your hand's shaking me. as you pick up that like, that surveillance. Uh, like, don't break it. A little bit, yeah. But I found it. I found it really beneficial that just once you start to once you get into once you're into the archive and just if you don't really if you really don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. just walk up to an archive and archivist and tell them that. Yeah. That just and I did that a few different times at different archives. It was just like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm this is my first time, I'm brand new. Here's what I'm looking for, but I have no idea how to get it. Wow. Or know where it is. And they they're kind of just magicians that know yeah. where everything yeah. is. Yeah. And they'll cuz as sort of as, as soon as you as sort of a, Okay, I said this obviously all in French, mm-hmm. but it was they were just like, "Oh, of course we'll help." Yeah, yeah, sit down. Like, we'll 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 give you a hand and we'll be able to find that and whatnot. And it was it was delightful. Like so it was nice. lovely to work with. There, I've I've never met an ar- I've never met a grumpy archivist, and I've never met an unfriendly archivist. Wow! And just even the fact that I'm working in sometimes the the Archive Nationale, the the big ar- the big national archive in France that everybody goes to all the time. Okay. Even they were lovely. Wow. That's a testament to them. I hope I hope that you share this podcast with all of them and be like, I think you're all lovely and wonderful. <laughs> Could you give me a story, maybe? So we've we've got an idea that you found police surveillance oh, right, documents. Yeah. You um, that there was a, a massive amounts of information, which is great as you're moving forward yeah. with your project. But I often find that what makes archives super interesting is you find stories. Yes. Uh, could you maybe, I know that you haven't yet gone into the depths of your research, but maybe share one or two stories with us? About- I certainly can. So there's, there's one, there's one excellent story that I found and it was, it was, I, I, I always found, so these, these collections are, are, are sort of very uniform reports. Mm-hmm. So when I'm sort of scrolling through them to get some, some metadata from it, um, I, I just kind of tend to scroll quite quickly. But as soon as you see something that is out of form, it's like, oh, stop! What's that? Yeah. And this happened very early, so I uh, there was 
within, I think it was maybe volume two or three of this collection. And there's 80 volumes. Whoa. Which, hence, yeah, what I was saying about the, the just the sheer volume of material. I was like, I can make a project out of this. Yes, for sure. And within about volume three, there is, there's a, a letter d- addressed directly from the lieutenant general of the Paris police, who's the, the, the person in charge, to the foreign minister. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Okay, what's going on here? And it was a report of the Baroness de Rebon, the, the Bar- Baroness of Rebon, mm-hmm. who is a Swedish aristocrat living in Paris for about two decades. And they, the Paris police had suspected her of espionage. So they'd been following her. They had paid off her household staff to listen into her conversations. They had paid people to watch her door to see who's coming and going to where she's going. And so they'd been following her for about two decades. What? They'd, they'd suspected her early on, I think it was in the 1750s, the 1760s of espionage. So like, okay, we're, we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this woman because she's... She, she's a wealthy aristocratic woman living in Paris, and so she's having suspicious people over for dinner. So she, she's, inviting, she's inviting sort of Prussian, German aristocrats over for dinner. She's inviting British aristocrats. She's inviting Dutch aristocrats over for dinner. And at this point in, in French history, France's sort of main European rivals are Britain, the Dutch, and Prussia. It's a, okay. a, Ger- a German state. So they're immediately suspicious. What is this woman doing hanging out with all these people? Mm. What, is she, what is she doing here? So they'd been tracking her for, for several decades, but hadn't really got anything until they, they finally started to get some information. And they found that she was in the pay of uh, the king of Prussia, king of, uh, okay. a German king, for the tune of about 4,000 pounds a month. Which Whoa. is a quite a lot of money. It is yeah. that is enough. I mean, to, it's a lot of money today. It's a lot of money today, which should signal how much. So, two hundred and fifty years ago, that was yeah. substantial. So she was. So she was able with with that money. She was living very comfortably in Paris, in having these really fancy dinners with all mm-hmm. these aristocrats and ambassadors who were coming into town. She was chat- talking to them getting information from them, getting gossip, getting all the sort of the, the niggly political information from them. And they found that she was she was recording everything they were saying and mailing that to the King of Prussia. Wow. So and that so she had been spying on on the French state for about two decades. Incredible. And, and does anyone know about her? Like, is she a person that comes up in history and historical documents, like in Swedish text? Is Or is she just one of these invisible people in history and now you've just found this, this like, whoa, this awesome espionage novel? And I don't know. So I found, I found reference to her in one other book. Wow. Uh, one other book that deals with this same collection, but in a very different way. So I found I found one reference to her so far. So it's not as though she's publicly known. No, no. So do you ever worry? So now you've found potentially, you know, or not potentially. I think you've, you've pretty much found already someone who is doing espionage, Swedish person doing espionage in front, like in France, in France yeah. um, at a somewhat tumultuous time. Do you worry what your research or your findings would mean in terms of like I don't know international relations today? That you put out a story about 
a Swedish person today that you're going to have some sort of backlash from? I don't know. You know, not really. Uh, I think in in a lot of cases, there's there's generally an acceptance that uh, that what's what happened 200 years ago doesn't really matter. Where people can get touchy, actually, uh, because we ha- I have run into this a little bit, where people can get touchy is actually on the individuals themselves. Not not necessarily sort of the grand diplomatic or international relations mm-hmm. sort of problems that can arise with that, because everybody knew that, yeah, that the, the Prussians were spying on the French and paying Swedes to do it and whatnot. Where the problem can arise is with some of these individuals' families who are still alive. Okay. Because in a lot of cases, these aristocratic families still exist. And they can, as this is the case with um, one of the principal characters in my, in my investigation is this, is the minister in charge of all of this, who's getting all of this information. His family still exists. Yeah. They live in a suburb outside of Paris and still have all his archives. Whoa. And the extent to which they're letting people get access to those archives is very, very tenuous. Okay. They don't, uh, I I was asked that in my proposal. It was like, oh, where's his stuff? Can you get access to it? And basically I had to say, like, well, I know where it is. I know, I know that the family still has it, but they have, they they have let people see it, but uh, they have only ever let people see it who have doctor in front of their name. Oh, interesting. And who have associations with Oxford or Yale or Harvard. So they realize, because I mean, I guess it is really hard because we only think, you know, history is living. It's not a static thing that exists in the past. It's it's a matter the ways in which we practice probably surveillance and espionage today were very much shaped by the ways in which yeah. they were done then. Right? So if so, if I, I they, they've suggested, oh, why don't you reach out to the family and sort of write a letter or reach out to the people who know the family and whatnot? It's like, I, I can definitely do that. But if I propose a project saying, hey, I want to find out how your ancestor was uh, spying on everybody and mm-hmm. was backstabbing people, they're not going to want to help me. Yeah, I mean, like, they, if you were to reach out to me and ask me that, I think I would be somewhat open to it, only in that, for me, you know, there's a difference between holding on to, you know, whose responsibility was what, when. Yeah. I still possibly continue to benefit from whatever that privilege was 200 years ago. Yes. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, as, as, a, as a white South African, I'm very much aware of how I, I prov- I'm continue to be privileged by things that happened in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, I, I can see how people might be uncomfortable. But I guess then people also have these, you could potentially dismantle someone's maybe good ideas of, of a person, a grandfather, right? Yeah. This is a yeah. grandfather. It's not someone who's far away. Or, and now to hear that this yeah. person is not all perfect. And in, in terms of in terms of the... The the, evolu- the political evolution of the family. Mm. This one minister was was the peak. Okay. He was the most influential. He really set this family up. They were before him. They were sort of really minor provincial aristocrats in sort of central France. This minister became foreign minister, really important diplomat, probably one of the the most important foreign ministers of Louis the Sixteenth's reign. One of the most important ministers the wow. whole reign. Orchestra, they had his hands in every pie with the American Revolution and all this big stuff. Like he's a big name in the period, mm. and nothing else really happened with the family after that. So like he's sort of the peak. 
he set them up for the next two centuries. And I that I don't know how much the family is willing to sort of chip away at his legacy. And I guess this also raises really interesting, because, I mean, there's legacy and there's impacts on your own personal relationship with the person in question, but then there are also broader, bigger questions in terms of understanding how societies operate. Yeah. And then, you, I mean, you start to have some questions about who has control and ownership yes. of these documents. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? So I think it's, it can be quite, it can be quite tenuous i suppose that uh what what you can get into is 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 you really yeah that these these archives are 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 personal papers that that they that they still control so it's 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 a person's love letters to their wife to their to their or sort of gossip with their friends and so to an extent some of that exists in in the national archives in the national scope Mm -hmm. and then some of it's kept personal so part I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to acknowledge my bias. Uh, I would benefit a lot if if those letters were in the public sphere, if those course, letters were yeah. accessible to public. So I, I have to acknowledge that bias. So like, this is this is really juicy, good stuff that like I want access to because it would be enormously beneficial for me professionally. Yeah. But at the same point, I also I respect the family's right to its own privacy. Of course. And even if the, I, I understand that there, there's going to be a line somewhere where okay, this person's been dead for 200 years and they're a very important national historic figure, if you want to put that label on them, that at what point are they, are they the, are, is the person themselves sort of enter the public domain? Yeah, that's really hard. And, and I guess because as people dig, the more important that person becomes. So that exactly. line is not necessarily... Uh, you know, the, the, the Swedish uh, aristocrat that you spoke of now as well, not someone who's possibly significant, but now yeah. you've created a, a character to some extent, yeah, right? It's a person absolutely. who existed. And and with, with her, I think, and sort of speaking about archives more generally, especially when one is studying espionage and surveillance, is the good spies didn't get caught. Mm-hmm. So to what extent... Because one thing that I know we always have to deal with when we're dealing with archives is like, great, this is what's there. Well, what isn't exactly there? what mm. either just fell, just disappeared from the quote unquote historical record or what do the archives feel was not useful? Because they can't keep everything. No, they, they 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 just can't. And also even how things are recorded, yeah. right? So, so what, how are things indexed? Exactly. Uh, kind so, of even shows the priorities. So I'm, 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 even at this stage of the project, I'm running into problems. So it's like, well, the good, I know there was espionage taking place. I know there's a lot of this, mm-hmm. but I don't know where those records exist because a lot of them weren't caught. So I can really only see, like with this, with this Swedish aristocrat, well, she was caught. Yeah. So I know she was there, and I know roughly what she was doing because there's police reports about it. Well, she was only caught after two decades. But she was only caught after two decades, mm. and there are very few, there's very little record of what else she did unless I want to go, because she was she was spying for, for a German um, king, uh, I would have to go to Berlin. And can you speak German? No. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> Interesting. So this is, so language becomes both an opportunity, and we've spoken about language... I suppose it's it's quite unsurprising in a podcast that's focused on international collaborations and borders yeah. and opportunities. Language comes up quite regularly as both yes. an opportunity and a challenge um, because it, it becomes the limits of how you're thinking, right? Absolutely. So I found, I, I, as I said, I speak both English and French uh, and my, my, re- 
my research, sort of the, all the secondary literature, mm-hmm. almost all of it's in French. Oh, wow. Uh, to when, to po- possibly a slight detriment when I'm trying to propose an undergraduate course on the subject, because I don't have any English language material to draw on for them to read. Maybe. I mean, you could also make it about, you know, being a country with, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get into yeah, that yeah, politics. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so it's... And I, you I, can tell the stories. Yeah, as I can, I can draw, so I draw both French and English material, both pri- primary source, it's almost all French. Okay. Um, I might, depending on what direction the project goes, I might be pulling on some English material because the English were, were, were quite active. They were the main subjects of a lot of the surveillance. Uh, and so I, I will have to draw on English material at some point. But I think that sort of the, if, if I were to know a third language and, and, and I, can, I can speak a tiny little bit of German enough to sort of order myself breakfast, oh, uh, maybe some good. lunch, but... Uh, I can't. I can't read it to the extent that it would be useful. Yeah. To to use some German documents or use some German literature. And I mean, I guess that's where projects end up having a life of their own. You open up this door, and then you know other Hopefully, people will take yeah. it somewhere else. But it's not just language that offers you, I guess, some restrictions. In the archives, you're also you're talking about time, right? So mm-hmm. you've, you've got a very specific period here. What three three years? A three year window. Uh, so that my the the period that I'm looking at has is is going to be about two decades or oh, so. Oh, two decades. Yeah, it's about okay. two decades. It's sort of the the beginning of of the reports start in 1774, mm-hmm. and sort of I'm using that as a bit of my start date, um, partially because the reports start then, and there's there's a new king of France, there's a new ministry, there's a new government, and sort of it's it's a lot of new 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 things okay. happen there. So I'm like, all right, this seems like a good place to start. And the ending date, depending on how much sway my committee has over me, will will sort of be sort of seventeen ninety one ish, or maybe a, probably a bit further into the revolution. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Um, and just to while we're speaking about some opportunities and challenges, yes. so prior to uh, prior to you coming, I'd asked you some some opportunities and challenges. And you had said, which we've spoken a little bit about now, you said simple geography can become something of a, of a challenge. Uh, but then you had also mentioned, for example, that working, so you had brought up like Luxembourg, for example, that you're going to a conference and that that's also part of your international collaborations. Mm-hmm. What's, what's this conference about? So the, the, there's two conferences that I'm applying for. I still haven't submitted the abstract. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's two conferences that I'm applying for for the summer. One, one is in London, and the other is in Luxembourg. Oh, wow. And I'm hoping uh, to, to be successful with a funding application to return to France this summer to do, to do some more archival research. And sort of, if, I, if the timing all works out, to sort of rope those conferences in, because sort of getting at the trouble of simple geography, I'm here in Canada, mm. and it is very ex- prohibitively expensive to, to go to France. And there's very little that's available online. Much is, but often it's it's the most common material, and it's really not what you need. No, and uh, someone might then ask, so what's the point? What's the significance? Why do this? Which is, the, I think, guess the question that every PhD student mm-hmm. like dreads the the so what the so what question. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Let me let me let you take it away, and then 
the so the so, the so, so, the so what, what so, question it's it's expensive it's far it's long ago um why why do this research i think there's to a certain extent there's just an element of if it's fun mm. i like i like I like being able to tell people that, yeah, I study spies. Yeah, it's pretty. And it's it's pretty fun. Uh, but I think it also it's it, it's informative in the grander scheme of of how sort of of how at least within within Europe how European diplomacy evolved and how the international relations because I mean just through the advent of Europe kind of colonizing the entire world mm. that most of the world has adopted European traditions with, with regards to diplomacy and international relations. So to, to study sort of 18th century diplomatic relationships and sort of and espionage is a major part of that. It's reflective of, of sort of a broader, a broader tradition of, it's just, it's, it's, it's part of the history of, of, the world's diplomacy. I mean, I would I would argue not even just the history. I would say it's like we were saying. I think it, the research question itself says something about today's time. Yeah, right? and like, so I'm I'm sort of addressing I'm, I'm mm. get when because when you when you start to talk about surveillance, you immediately start to think about what's a lot of what's got a lot of what we're learning about with social media or exactly, yeah. or issues with Chinese technology that's coming in. And it's like well, it might have backdoors to to surveil on on our society. So I think it's it's informative my my research can be informative in that sense of sort of what what is going on before we get electricity exactly if, and it's not it's not new it's, right it's how, not how new. did how did this become something that is as ubiquitous as it is yeah. today right the, these had early beginnings um and I, I don't know if you know so i'm i'm only just starting to get into some of him now um ben benjamin German philosopher. He's okay. got he's got a he's got this really neat idea which I'm flirting with a little bit called the dialectical image. Okay. Where what he's saying is he he thinks history is extremely important because it's looking back at a time. The moment you look back is both kind of an explosion of that time and this time at exactly the same oh, time. Interesting. I wouldn't if you can send me that to because that oh, might be helpful. Look at the, the the arcades project. It's okay. like it's bigger than the Bible. It's huge. Oh no. Um, right. But it's um, I'm only just starting, and I've I've only got the kind of really you know broad brushstrokes of what it is. But I think it's quite fruitful in that some of the ideas is that he says you look back in time also for the things that could have been right mm -hmm. sometimes we think of history as being this linear progression of events this happened so this happened so this happened uh, which is kind of how we're taught it in school yeah. but then the more you look at all the kind of you know the random events that yeah. happen and things could have things could have happened Franz yeah. Ferdinand could have yeah. like yeah. things could have just happened differently and, um, and so which is why sort of his history sort of as a as a discipline to sort of put on put on a big a big wig and smoke a big long pipe and think very very philosophically about mm. what is history for a moment i really think that 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 history is is the study of really two things context and contingency Ooh. that you're you're studying sort of the the, the contextual if you're looking at an event you're you're studying well what's going on around it why is this happening and whatnot, and and then the contingency element is, is really like, well, what what made this happen? Yeah. Why why did it happen this way? And sort of what we learn, what we can exactly. learn from that. So what was what was? I mean, yeah, because something made this 
for, in quotations, yeah. inevitable, right? Yeah. Like, how is this the outcome or the, the, the thing? Yeah. Um, it's never just, uh, well, obviously. Sometimes yeah. people will say that, to you, well, obviously there was a change in this. And you're like, yeah. ah. And so, like, hi- history can do a lot of, can do a lot of things to do with, because a, a, a lot of people, like, I know, I know, like, I study early modern Europe. It's mm. not, it, it's not very, pre- like, a, a lot of people in my department study some really, really present obvious things that are that are that are that are problems like some good example is a, v- a very good friend of mine in my cohort she's she's looking at um she's looking at uh, same-sex adoption oh interesting in in canada and in, in the 20 20th and 21st century so it's like that's that's a really really present hmm. really really ob- poignant. like hmm. poignant poignant it's a great word that's like that's a that's a really present poignant issue that that needs some clarification and that, that needs that historical lens and I, I sometimes feel a little bit that I'm like well like I study things that happened 200 years ago oh I don't think you should undersell like, yourself um you know espionage spying uh, these things still they still, they still happen, happen. Yeah. um for one but two I think that your first part of that answer is really sometimes underestimated um Curiosity is what gets 90% of scholars into the room in the first place, yeah. right? The, the, the question yeah. of how did this come and let's see what path it takes us on. It's the where's Wally moment, right? It's, yeah. the, it's, the, it's the puzzle. Um, and I think because we live in a world that is so full of problems and so full mm-hmm. of, of concerns that sometimes we're like, ah, oh, if mine isn't immediately creating a solution to this big And I, I feel that a lot, that I'm, mm. I'm sitting here and being like, well, like, what what is – what? It, what difference is is my research going to make? But sometimes here? you like, don't uh, know that, right? So, no, I don't. So yeah, you yeah. you read a book that kind of changed your life a little bit, Shane. You, well, yeah. you don't yeah. know what the impact is, uh, what kind of new thought it might. Because because science really good point. Yeah. science and knowledge is not a, a static thing. Like once you've created something and you've put it out there, it's beyond you now, mm-hmm. right? It's it's. Uh, yeah. Which is really, I mean, I think you're doing something infinitely cool, and I that's, think there's that's a really that's a really good way to put that. I'll I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, you're cool. You're cool, and you're doing well, something important. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so to sort of get some of the the international part of it, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of I men- mentioned the couple conferences that I'm applying for. Is I think it's it's really, I guess it's really important to sort of to to not just as as a graduate student and and just as a researcher more generally. I think it's it's really important for me to go and present and present research my research and collaborate with people who mm-hmm. are working in not 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 just other areas but like other other academic structures yeah because the the conference in london uh is is being put on by the society for the study of french history okay and that's uh, that's a british-based society that i was involved with during my master's and so it's it's relationship building, right? That, yeah, it's a relationship building. It's networking mm-hmm. that you're you're getting to know people who are working on similar on similar or even different su- different subjects with you around around the world. Uh, this conference in Luxembourg is is sort of that that same kind of opportunity. Uh, it was actually my fiance who who pointed out that conference to me. She thank you. <laughs> she 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 forwarded that application that uh, call for papers to me. And I was like, oh oh, that's really cool. That kind of looks like fun. I want to go there. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, so many of the, the interviewees have actually brought up this point, just how significant and important it is to, one, put your ideas out there. Yeah. Um, sometimes we want to guard them and, and, like, you see someone who's just written something that's exactly what you're working on, and you're like, no. Yeah. But that's yeah. not how knowledge works. This no, is an opportunity no. to collaborate now, right? And, I mean, this is – people were 
often ask me, it's like, oh, are you really nervous about your, 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 your qualifying exam? Are you really nervous about this? I'm like, no, I'm not. Because mm. I, I don't want, as, as a researcher and as, as a graduate student, I don't want to be told what I'm doing is good. I want to make it good. Mm. So I don't want to, and, and I really think like this is, this is how I work. I think it's really important for, for me personally. I know that's not how everybody works, but I find yeah. for, for myself personally, like I don't want to be told that when, if, if I ask for feedback on a paper, I don't even be like, oh, it's really good. Yeah, like, no, 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 no. Exactly. Tell me what I did wrong. Cause I, it's not perfect. And it'll like, never be perfect. How right? can I improve this? So I think with going to, to conferences in, in Europe or elsewhere, it's something that I'm, I'm a little, I'm a, it's out of my comfort zone. Mm. I don't really know anybody who's going to be there. Well, okay, the, the one in Luxembourg, my fiance is going to be there. Uh, so I do know some. <laughs> but uh, I think it's it's really important to just to to put your work out there. Don't be afraid that this is this is about your work and making it the best you can, it can possibly be. And it's about knowledge, right? It's so about, yeah. You don't really have ownership of that. No, you um, don't. And and I, I really appreciate what you're saying because sometimes I think, you know, it's great or it's interesting. That's often what I get. It's so interesting, which is a really lovely comment because it is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I am definitely one who's yeah. prone to having an argument or an argumentative like not in the bad way. Like yeah, I enjoy, yeah, yeah. I enjoy finding the holes. Yeah, of course. I think simply for that reason. Of course. So mm. like I, I want to, especially if if I'm if I'm asking somebody who's not of my discipline. Yeah. To, to 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 give me some feedback. I want to know. Well, what didn't you understand? Exactly. Well, mm. what? Uh, because I I really believe that. Especially, I think with history, we, we have this beneficial because it's such a narrative discipline. Yeah. Because it's it's so much about there there is a lot of anal of an analysis and critique in there. But I think it's so much about communicating ideas. Well, I think history is also communicating a, stories and one hundred percent and sort of communicating. It, it's about communication. I, I think, and really and it's, it is. it's so substance it, to context, right? Like I, I feel as though any some of the most profound philosophers ever were basing their ideas with the use of history yeah right um i mean in, in my mind i think it's almost and this also shows where i come from i suppose but it's almost impossible to ask a question without considering history and geography because yeah. that is context and if you're not paying attention to those then it becomes i think infinitely more difficult to answer that so yeah, what yeah. question um or but i mean that's my bias in there as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, okay, but before we, we wrap up, because I think you and I could end oh, up... Oh, no, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're clocking there. Um, but it's always fun. I, I love it when we have space and time to just keep keep talking. Of course. Um, um, I definitely try to not do those. We were speaking about it just before we started the episode. I was like, I'm pretty good at not doing um, and then right yeah. at the end, um. Yeah. So I always ask people towards the end of an episode for a song... And I know you said you struggled a little bit with I this. I did, I did, uh, for for a couple reasons. I think the main reason I struggled is is partially just I'm not much of a music person. Uh, I think that's I know that sometimes just sort of shocks and horrifies mm. people, but I just I I tend to if I'm walking for somewhere like for instance when I was on research in Paris, I lived about an hour's commute from the archives, so oh, wow. I'm on I'm on transit that whole time. So what are you um, doing on your your transit? I'm listening to podcasts. Nice. Is is I usually there's there's a couple podcasts that I listen to. Can you can you give them a shout out now? It's always uh, good to learn about new content. Sure, sure. Uh, it was it, it's kind of it's a it's difficult to describe. There's sort of 
some of them were work sort of workflow podcasts or, mm-hmm. or, or sort of technology based podcasts. One of them was Cortex. Cortex. What uh, is the, that? Uh, it's again. This is this is sort of it's a, it's a sort of an it, technology and sort of workflow sort of podcast. So they talk a lot about technology. They talk about a lot about sort of getting work done and sort of how how they how they work because they're both sort of people who make their who earn their living on 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 the internet. Oh wow! Uh, so they they talk a lot about sort of they're they're both sort of independent self-employed people and they talk about sort of how they manage their own businesses and how they they. That's called Cortex. Cortex. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then the other ones, they're they're sort of both in in sort of the guise of sort of two people talking kind of podcasts, mm-hmm. um, who just kind of sometimes talk about whatever. Uh, and then the other one is Hello Internet. Uh, it's the other one that I listen. Is that to also and, tech tech based? Yeah, they, they share one of the one of the hosts does does both. Um, oh, cool. and so, so there's a lot of it's kind of difficult to describe sometimes when mm. it's, it's just sort of sometimes very random conversations but i found them i found them really fun to listen to i found yeah, it, i listen uh, to some physics ones sometimes or okay. like astrophysics and i have no idea what's going on yeah um and, and actually like it's not pure physics it's kind of uh, do you know infinite monkey cage i don't okay. infinite monkey cage it's worth listening yeah, yeah it's fun and it's got some yeah. british humor and it's got a uh, Brian Cox. I don't know if you know Brian Cox. No, I don't. Former former rock star, now turned astrophysicist. Um, oh wow! Okay. So it's just really interesting conversation yeah, yeah, that course. I'm not normally exposed to. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of funny because on on one of them, they one of the guys sort of often has a very. I don't want to say misunderstanding, but different understanding of history. So sometimes I, I, I kind of cringe. Cringe. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It was like, oh no, I really disagree with this. And well, just sort of skip, are there skip, any skip, good skip, skip. history podcasts? I don't really know. I'm oh, going to be so honest. I, I know. I know there. Are, I'm certain there are many. Um, there's just not. But you don't listen to history podcasts. I don't actually. That's I tend to. I tend to use podcasts as a chance to just listen to something that's not my subject area. Awesome. Or like I'll watch documentaries or something like that. This is like not my subject area in the least. That's and really, really enjoy, cool. I really enjoy doing that. So I like unfortunately, that. I don't really have a, a really, I couldn't really think of a music, of a, of a piece of music that was really representative okay. simply because I didn't, I didn't really listen to any music while I was, while I was over there. It was, it was all podcasts and. But you know, some French, but, maybe someone who's, who's a quintessential artist, right? So, so like, I don't know anything about yeah, France. Yeah, of course. So I think, um. I'd, I'd mentioned to you Edith Piaf, mm-hmm. and I think that's she was sort of she's the the quintessential, especially Paris. Like I, I've always, I always, I always think of her music whenever, whenever, because all of my work. We didn't really get into this, unfortunately. Oh my goodness. But all of all of my archives were based in Paris because they're they're national archives, and France France is a very centralized country, so they had all the. The uh, the foreign affairs archives, um, the the military archives, which holds the police files, and the national archives. Those are all just in Paris. Wow, um, the city is, of love, which is really convenient <laughs> uh, when you're there, because you can just you just stay there in Paris. And, and it uh, is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really is gorgeous. The the layouts is quite easy to to navigate. Yeah. Um, and the streets are still somewhat cobblestoned in some yeah. places. And yeah. So I I, uh, I always really enjoyed. I know the the photo that I'd sent you as as part of this. You'd asked for a bit of a photo as mm-hmm. well. And the the photo that I sent was um, of the the inside of the Palais Royal. It's a, it's a sort of a big central institution in the center of the city. And, and often because the archives close at five, and oops, there's nothing I can do now. I'd always I'd often take a book or a podcast or an audiobook or something like that. Just go sit in the Palais Royal gardens. 
and just sort of watch, people watch, do a bit of people watching and just sort of relax. And oh, that sounds beautiful. You could, uh, it was, it was a lovely place to do work. Oh, lovely. Well, so, uh, so this I, was a lovely conversation. Mm-hmm, this was really, really nice. I and, really enjoyed it. And we're going to play, we're going to play that because I think, uh, some quintessential Parisian music. Yeah. So she, she's always something that someone that I think of when, when I think about Paris and, uh, it's, uh, and those good times and those good times. Yeah. All that bread and cheese. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for, for joining me today. And um, best of luck. Well, congrats again for finishing you. your comps and best of luck on your next trip to Paris or Luxembourg or London. Hopefully all three. Hopefully all three. Three. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Right? Thank you. Sous le pont de Bercy, un philosophe assis, de musiciens, quelques badauds, puis des gens par milliers. Sous le ciel de Paris, jusqu'au soir, vont chanter l'hymne d'un peuple épris de sa vieille cité. Près de Notre-Dame, parfois couvain drame, puis mais à Paname, tout peut s'arranger. Quelques rayons du ciel d'été, l'accordéon d'un marinier, l'espoir fleuri au ciel de Paris. Le ciel de Paris coule un fleuve joyeux mmh. Il endort dans la nuit les clochards et les gueux mmh. Sous le ciel de Paris les oiseaux du bon Dieu mmh. Viennent du monde entier pour bavarder entre eux Et le ciel de Paris a son secret pour lui. Depuis vingt siècles, il était pris de notre île Saint-Louis. Quand elle lui sourit, il met son habit bleu. Quand il pleut sur Paris, c'est qu'il est malheureux. Il est trop jaloux de ses millions d'amants Il fait gronder sur eux son tonnerre éclatant Mais le ciel de Paris n'est pas longtemps cruel Pour se faire pardonner Il offre un big thank you to today's guest as well as to all of the staff here at CFRC with a special thanks to the station manager Diana Janssen. The bed music for this podcast is Mafiki Zolo featuring Uhuru singing Kona. This has been Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship.
you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Thank you.